0: Welcome to the Peter King podcast. So happy you can join us. Uh, We got a fun, fun podcast this week in advance of the Patriots Bucks Sunday game. I know probably some of you are already sick of it. It's only the middle of the week. But um, I did something pretty fun last week. Uh, I took an NBC crew with producer Annie Koblitz, and we went to the six states of New England. and basically just took the temperature, took the pulse of the entire region. Uh, And I'm going to bring you a couple of people from the region that you will enjoy hearing from uh, about Brady, about Belichick, about uh, this game, and, and also some stuff about life, you know, that nothing lasts forever. So I think you'll enjoy that. We'll do that later in the podcast. But Right now, we're going to go over the events of the week, uh, and also look forward to that game uh, with my friend from NBC Sports, Paul Burmeister. Paul, how are you?
1: Doing well, Peter. I'm a little envious of your trip that you got to take and uh, to get a head start on thinking about the big game on Sunday and also to see a really cool part of the country at one of the awesome times of the year.
0: Yeah, it was really fun. I had a, I really had a great time, not only basically meeting and talking to some real new englanders but probably just as much seeing a lot you know i'm i'm from new england i was born in massachusetts and and grew up in connecticut i mean when i grew up uh the patriots were not even a thing they i mean they existed but this would have been the late 60s early 70s new england's team was the new york giants That's who I watched every Sunday. I don't think I watched two Patriots games in all of my childhood before I left for college in 1975. So that wasn't a team that really was a big deal when I was a kid, but obviously it has gone from, and Paul, you'll appreciate this. The New England Patriots have gone from being fourth in the pecking order in New England sports. And I would say, you know, my teenage years, it was probably Celtics, Red Sox, number one in some order, then the Bruins, and then the Patriots, a clear number four. And today, I would say the Patriots are a clear number one. And and uh, the other teams fall in line behind them, almost depending on which team is hottest uh, at the time. But things have really changed in that region. And I hope I was was able to capture some of that um, with my peers at NBC. And I know you, you live in New England now, so you get it. And, and I don't know whether, I mean, do you sense that, you know, the Patriots are the biggest thing in those six States?
1: No. And this is the, the seventh NFL season that I've lived here in this part of Connecticut, Peter. And even when the Pats were winning Super Bowls, which wasn't that long ago, and Brady was there, it, this far south in Connecticut, as you mentioned, it's Jets and Giants. And yeah. right now, there is so much Giants and Jets angst yeah. and anger yeah. and complaining that it really drowns out anything that's happened with the Patriots for the whole season. And right now, with the big focus on Sunday, it's kind of, and again, it's, I'm pretty far south in New England, but it's almost like the other story compared to how much the Jets and Giants are struggling.
0: Right, right, right. Listen, Paul. Let's let's go elsewhere first. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about three other topics um, that I really wanted to get into in the wake of week uh, week three and and looking forward to the rest of the year. I was so impressed with the Dallas Cowboys on Monday night, and I think that what I saw with the Cowboys shows to me that. They are a clear number one in the NFC East right now. And I think it'll take a a major decline for them not to win this division. And I think that because, look, we all thought all along that they were going to have a good enough offense. Uh, and, And now with more depth on offense, Dalton Schultz at tight end making plays, Tony Pollard now really being a 1B to Ezekiel Elliott's 1A. But look, in my opinion, we are seeing Dak Prescott play at his peak as a player. But my big thing is that defense looks respectable. And to me, Micah Parsons is the big reason for that. And boy, if he can stay healthy for this season, Cowboys have themselves a huge keeper on that front seven.
1: It's interesting because when we get to draft time and think about how teams that need defense, how they ought to add and what they ought to covet and target the most, we think about pass rushers and we think about corners and maybe a safety. The linebackers get a little bit overlooked right now, right. but when you have one, they can run like that and can make plays like that. Look at what Devin White did for Tampa Bay. He has tremendous players around him, but he changed the look and the field that defense, but how he moves sideline to sideline. And now the Cowboys have a little bit of that as well. And I think it's a great point you bring up because it's easy to admire what Dak has around him now and how it feels like they're getting an identity on offense with what Pollard's bringing as well. But that defense looks different with that additional one player.
0: Yeah. And I, I just, I can't emphasize enough. And I mean, everybody who loves the Cowboys will also see this that last year, their defense, not only was their Achilles heel, their defense is the reason that they didn't make the playoffs even though Dak Prescott was hurt in October and lost for the year they still could have and should have been a playoff team if their defense was even number 20 or 22 in the league but it was woeful so that cost the Cowboys a division title and a playoff win playoff game last year and and Paul hey I wrote a little bit about this in my column this week but I think the new Monday night game this year is going to be a four or five game for a lot of different reasons. The new Monday night playoff game. And I'll tell you if the Cowboys win the NFC East and they're the fourth seed, I'd be very surprised if that ratings magnet of a game wasn't the Monday night game uh, on playoff on wildcard weekend. I want to just say one other thing about this game and get your view. Look, I was not impressed, obviously, with a lot of the things Jalen Hurts did in the game. I was very impressed with Jalen Hurts after the game. That's what a leader does. He didn't play well. And after the game, he said, that loss is on me. That's my fault. And I'll tell you, I love that in a player, especially a young player with so much on the line. He knows, Jalen Hurts knows if he plays great, he could win the Eagles' job, and he could stop them from going to seek a long-term quarterback. So I kind of look at this whole thing as it, it was a it was a bad night for the Eagles. Could have been a lot worse, but they found something out about their quarterback. Darn good leader.
1: I think, uh, and I like what he did after the game and how he presented himself as well. It's very important. A little bit about the game with Jalen Hurts and so much of the conversation. In the aftermath after week three Peters about Justin Fields and how he didn't get help from his play callers there in Chicago and they didn't help him look good with the way they called the pass against the run last night. I think that Jalen hurts was done a disservice even more than Justin Fields was in Cleveland with his first start and I also think you have to evaluate him as a rookie quarterback I know he's in his second year but he's basically in his first season as a starter. I almost put him in this class that the other rookies were evaluating when we think about how he's looking for the future. But this is what people have always liked about him, which you pointed out afterward. Uh, Leadership comes in a lot of forms. People define it in a lot of ways. But when you get someone who stands tall and can speak with conviction and authenticity after he didn't play well and the team didn't play well, it's not the most important part of what he's doing the next few months, but it is a giant part of it. And I think anybody who paid attention to how he handled that had to be impressed.
0: You know what, Paul, and I'll ask you this, you know, we've talked a little bit about your history, but I, I, I have always thought, I mean, playing football at a high level, you played quarterback at Iowa. I mean, that is a high level of football in the United States. And I think some responsibility comes with that other than just playing the game. Sometimes you got to stand up. Bernie Kosar used to call talking to the press afterwards, the fifth quarter. I have to be, I have to set a tone for the team. I have to set us up for the next week. And I'm not just talking about what you say. I'm talking about how you act. You had to do that as a quarterback at a big 10 program. You know, you had to be the adult in the room (laughs) more than anybody else on the team.
1: I think back at myself at 21, Peter, and that's a little bit scary that I had to be the adults in the room. But it's kind of reflective of how my career went. I mean, I was a decent quarterback, but I think, again, all sincerity, it's kind of funny. But I, I think I was better at that fifth quarter than I was at quarters one through four <laughs> a lot of times. <laughs> we were We were six and five my senior year. We were okay, but we weren't great. And there were a lot of games that were disappointing. Uh, And I had to come there Saturday after the game and kind of be the face of the team. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, do the same thing. And I was very comfortable with that. And I think I did that pretty well. Uh, I wish I was better at the playing of the game and maybe a little bit not as good at at, handling the uh, (laughs) tough losses afterward. But, um, yes, I I remember that well. And I think you're right on. It is it's part of the responsibility. And unfortunately, I got I got pretty good at standing up there after a disappointing game.
0: So, Paul, let's transition right now into the young quarterbacks in football. I I thought a lot of irresponsible stuff happened in week three that bothered me a lot. And I wanted to talk to you about that. Okay, so the four rookie quarterbacks who started on Sunday, and I'm not including Davis Mills, who started on Thursday, uh, because I thought Davis Mills, how crazy this is, Davis Mills was the best of the lot this weekend. The four guys, the four high draft choices who started on Sunday, went 0-4. They lost by 12, 15, 20, and 26 points. They had a combined quarterback rating of 43.1. And the thing that really bothered me probably most of all, and there was a point in the Jets game late, where they're trying to score and trying to make plays and, and trying to kill the clock so that they can do things. And again, I really appreciate, um, it, it, you know, Robert Sala and his staff basically trying to get guys uh, on offense and particularly Kyle Wilson, the second pick in the draft, um, or sorry, Zach Wilson, try to get him some quality playing time, maybe some confidence in it. But in my opinion, I just think teams who are playing these young quarterbacks need to think hard and need to think hard right now about their plans for these quarterbacks. And and to me, I saw a lot of stuff on Sunday, not that they're ruining these guys, but they're playing guys before they're ready.
1: I think all you have to do for an example is look last year at maybe the best quarterback in the league, Patrick Mahomes. And you put him with all that talent and all the success he's had in the league behind a really shaky offensive line in big moments. I think he developed bad habits. I think his ability to stand in the pocket, uh, not because of a courage standpoint, uh, but I I think that it was affected. And he's playing a little bit, a little bit that way this year, too, because of what happened last year with an offensive line that wasn't very good. Now you have all these rookies playing on teams where, I mean, the line is just one of the problems and I I think it's a very fair thing to bring up, not ruining them, but really, really affecting their confidence. I, I'm a little bit on the other side, Peter, of like, I, I realize it's really difficult, but I think this is part of what they signed up for with getting these quarterbacks, knowing they weren't very good. And I kind of look at it like, the development here, and whether it's a success or not long term, it's it's half on the quarterback's medal and talent, and maybe more metal than talent, we're in these really difficult spots playing for bad teams. That's half of, are they going to come out of it on the top or not? You look at the metal and talent. Then the other half is on the organization, Peter, for the stability around him and the quality around him. And that's on them to work toward getting that and having it more in years two, three, and four. I look at Buffalo and Cleveland what they've done with Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, those organizations weren't in a great place. They're moving in a great place there. They're moving to a great spot there organizationally. And the quarterbacks with their talent and toughness have come through the tough times, you know, Baker Mayfield and Josh Allen. And now they're at this place together where the quarterback's good and still confident. and the organization is quality around him. And, you know, can New York be that kind of organization around Zach Wilson? I don't know. Can he be the kind of guy that has the kind of courage and toughness and talent where a year and a half when the organization is better, maybe that he, he still has confidence intact. I don't know, but I think it's half on the quarterback to pull through this really tough spot and it's half on the organization to get to the point where they're good around him.
0: Yeah. Paul, I, I just, I think this, that, you know, part of what you do, I'm, I'm just reminded of what Matt Nagy said to me in training camp, the Bears coach, shall we say the embattled Bears coach. Mm -hmm. Um, He had a a great line that I'm more concerned about building a quarterback for 15 years, not for two. And, And I really, really appreciate that. I don't know what the best balance is. And as I've said a lot in the last month or so, you know, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes have one thing in common. They sat almost Mm -hmm. the entire rookie year uh, in the NFL. So in my opinion, I would just rather, even if, and look, Matt Matt Nagy, barring a surprise, this is probably his last year in Chicago. I, I mean, I hate to say it, it might be his last month in Chicago. I don't know. But my feeling about, those guys right now is that Matt I think Matt Nagy's got to fall on his sword for this quarterback and and only think about what's best because look with that team on that offense right now I don't care if you play Andy Dalton or Justin Fields you're not winning and and my feeling is that he has to be the adult in the room speaking of adults in the room and he has to say even if it costs me my job, it probably will. I'm playing Andy Dalton. i got to protect this kid right now.
1: That, that was enough of an aberration, Peter. And we, we've all seen rookie quarterbacks struggle mightily at certain points of their rookie career. Sometimes the entire, I'm sorry, the rookie season. Sometimes the entire four months. But when you only have 47 yards of total offense, I mean, yeah. think about that. 47 yards of total offense is an unbelievable stat. Yeah. Might be the most ridiculous number that's produced this entire season. When your offense is that bad, uh, I think your advice is right on, but maybe you do have to pull back and say, gosh, I, I don't know what help we're doing this kid. Um, I know it was going to be tough. I know it was going to be really hard. But if we're that poor, maybe you go to plan B.
0: Yeah, I, I see that. I, I just think right now your responsibility, Paul, in my opinion, I don't know who is going to be able to play a good game at quarterback right now for the Chicago Bears but I really think you've got to more look out for your rookie than you do have to say we have to do everything humanly possible to win this game this week. There's a reason why you're drafted a quarterback so high. That guy right now has to be of paramount importance. If I'm them, I'm playing Nick Foles on Sunday and taking the consequences. Let's talk about a veteran quarterback before we go quick hitting around the league. The veteran quarterback I want to discuss is Matthew Stafford, who in my opinion, I, I think it's probably Matthew Stafford as a three-week MVP over Kyler Murray and, and Derek Carr, but be that as it may, Matthew Stafford, I think, I, I when I visited their training camp, uh, the Rams training camp in, uh, in August, Paul, one of the things I noticed is how sort of ebullient, effervescent happy, uh, enthusiastic. Look, this this team was, and especially uh, the coach, Sean McVay. Everybody looks at McVay and everybody says, oh, he's always happy. He's always bubbly. Honestly, his last couple of years has not been this happy, this bubbly. And I think it's because he has a quarterback who, when he puts the game plan out and puts the play in the quarterback's hands, he has total absolute faith that that play is going to be orchestrated uh, and and basically played to its best conclusion. And I don't think Sean McVeigh had that thought with Jared Goff. The one other thing I would say, and and, and I'm really curious in your response about this particular part of it. I firmly believe that, that Every play, that, that, other than, say, a, a running back, a, a rushing play, that, where you know what you're going to do, I believe that on every pass play that a coach calls, he has to have some faith in his quarterback to, when the ball is snapped, to look at that defense and take the best option. It's not always one thing. It's always your best option. And right now, I believe that when Sean McVay calls a play, he knows that his quarterback is going to take the best option of the three, four, or five that he's got out there.
1: And I think the numbers really uh, reflect that, Peter. I mean, for one, Cooper Cup leads the NFL in receiving yards, I believe. He's the top threat right now. So you would think maybe they're leaning a little bit too much on him by that number. But then you look at the numbers each week, uh, Stafford had six six pass catchers with three catches or more this week. So to your point, yes, I, I, there has to be confidence from, from McVay that no matter what the play is called, he's not going to just one place or looking to one receiver. Quarters one through four for the first three games, he's putting the ball where it's supposed to be. And what I really like about what they're doing, there's tremendous talent for Matthew Stafford. Yes, we see that. And there's also great talent on McVay for play calling. And I'm sure he's super excited to push the ball down the field all the time. But it's almost like this, this golfer who can hit it 320 off the tee, and not afraid to get out the five iron and put it out there a couple hundred yards and just play fairways and greens. I think they're using the combined talents of Sean and Matthew in, in moderation. That's working really, really well. And a Stafford's efficiency numbers put away the, the top five or six most impressive downfield throws he's had the first three games, whichever ones you like the most his efficiency numbers are way higher than they ever were in Detroit. So it's, um, it's not just the wins, it's the way they're doing it. To me, it's been really impressive.
0: Paul, in our remaining eight minutes, we are going to take 90 seconds each on these topics. Okay. Topic number one, the Colts are in trouble. And I would say that even if Carson Wentz was absolutely healthy, I watch this team. I don't have a lot of confidence even in a healthy Carson Wentz uh, to put up a lot of points. Their offensive line is really, really leaky. The things that I thought I could really rely on, the offensive line and a more efficient Carson Wentz, they just haven't been there. I don't see them coming back.
1: Yeah, Carson Wentz, it's easy to admire his courage with what he's playing with, but he's not playing well. I mean, two out of the three games, The Colts have scored in the teens, and while they're trying to figure it out offensively and deal with that offensive line, quarterbacks keep running into the Colts and not having their best games of the year, but they're all playing really well. They have nice compliments from the ground game. They haven't stopped the ground. They haven't given a quarterback a bad game, even though they picked off Tannehill twice. That's really the best thing you can say about their defense so far. Um, You can't look at a spot of the Colts and say, that's been encouraging. I, I think it's all been concerning.
0: I loved Aaron Rodgers Sunday night. The reason yeah. I loved him and I loved, I loved as much as anything, look, his pass uh, that he threw to Devontae Adams deep in his own territory for 25 yards that was eight inches above Fred Warner's out, <laughs> outstretched arm was an absolute total thing of beauty. And that's one of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers is one of the best to ever do it because that was a totally, absolutely effortless play. You know what it reminded me of? This is very weird, very out of left field. But I thought of when I, when I saw him make that throw, I was reminded of a great baseball player named Tony Gwynn. Okay, yeah. Now, you obviously know Tony Gwynn, got 3,000 hits, died far too young. But the reason I used to love watching Tony Gwynn is that he used to hit rockets off his bat and it looked like he just woke up took a fungo bat swung it easy and just hit a rocket off that bat and that is what Aaron Rodgers is like right now watching him play and the other reason I really liked it is because of how excited he was at the end of the game it sort of eliminated the the storyline of oh Aaron Rodgers doesn't care he's just (laughs) waiting to get to the off season
1: I like your baseball uh, analogy there with Tony Gwynn. I'm going to go basketball when I was watching, when I thought about that, or I I thought about a lot the last day that, that throw Aaron Rodgers made that deep in route. It's like when Steph Curry hits a 45 foot jump shot and he doesn't strain, it looks easy. And we're so used to, it's like, yeah, okay. I'm not that surprised. And that, that pass, Peter, that route, a 25 yard in route that Aaron threw 35 yards. It doesn't exist in anybody's playbook for a reason because people can't make that throw yeah. you can't make a throw 35 yards downfield where you can but you can't expect a quarterback to well, do it
0: especially Paul because he made it over yes a six foot four guy yes okay and 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 and, it, and he knew exactly the arc he had to put on it that's why it was so beautiful it's
1: incredible yeah it's uh, I don't think we'll see two throws better for October November December January I don't think that'll be outdone so uh, like you. I I've, I've been talking about that a lot and thinking about it a lot because it's incredibly rare, uh, something that we don't see very often.
0: Paul the 3 and 0 Arizona Cardinals at the 3 and 0 Los Angeles Rams Sunday. I don't know that anybody would have seen that as a potential <laughs> game of the week in week 4, but I really like what I'm seeing both out of Kyler Murray and Matthew Stafford. I love that game. Who you got?
1: I've got the Rams. I I think it'll be awesome. Uh, Kyler Murray has been such a fun watch, but that defense, just the athleticism on, on all levels there for the Cardinals has been a really pleasant surprise. I, I think the one comp you have, and it can't be last week. I mean, going from Trevor Lawrence to Matthew Stafford right now is, is like an impossible leap for that defense. But two weeks ago, Kirk Cousins had a lot of success against that defense with play action, drop back, a nice mix of the run in the pass. And I think Matthew Stafford uh, and his attack are a better version of what cousins brought there. So I I think it'll be fun, but I think that defense is not ready to stop or even really slow down what Stafford's about to bring.
0: I'll tell you what, this is a game that in my opinion is as much in Chandler Jones's hands Mm. as it is Kyler Murray's because Chandler Jones has to be the ultimate disruptive force. If he can do that, I think the Cardinals stay in it. If not, I think the Rams win by double digits. Um, The last thing I'm gonna touch on, um, just a quick hit introducing my characters uh, from the New England trip. You're gonna hear from a couple of them. But Paul, what I found so interesting is I found a really varied view of what people think of Tom Brady right now. I found the, the most polite, nicest, uh, a school teacher, a woman named Emily Ross in Newberry, Vermont, uh, who says, "You know, and you would think, oh, you know, Tom should have the right to do whatever we want. He wants." She said, "I feel betrayed by Tom Brady, you know." And then you, I got the governor of New Hampshire, nothing but love for Tom Brady. Okay. Have a minister in Boston uh, who had a great analogy. You know, it's like your ex. You okay. you. you uh, You wish her no ill will, but, you know, he made it clear that when the game starts on Sunday, you know, he wants him to get after and to flatten Tom Brady. Uh, And, and then uh, funniest thing I thought was this nurse in Rhode Island where uh, it was clear that she is totally all Belichick and, you know, thinks that Brady got far too much credit Mm -hmm. Uh, near the end of our conversation Annie Koblitz, our producer, said to her, Mary Ann Ryan, she said, do all good things come to an end? And she said, dear, I work in the ER. I can tell you, all good things do come to an end. (laughs) So anyway, it was a a very New England trip. Enjoyed doing it, and you'll get to hear now from uh, a couple of my characters on that trip. So on my New England trip, I met a minister in Boston, inner city Boston, John Matthew Borders the fourth at the Morning Star Baptist Church in Mattapan, which is a neighborhood in inner city Boston. He was very, very even handed, but he made it very clear at the end that, hey, life is a continuum. We gotta move on and we'll move on without Tom Brady. Was there any sort, even though you seem understanding that Brady has the freedom to go somewhere, was it any
2: sort of a gut punch when it was real? Yes, it was definitely a gut punch when Brady decided to leave. Um, I mean, you felt like you were, a a sense of your childhood was gone. (laughs) You know, something that had grown to be very familiar there was something to be said about when Tom, Brady, when Tom Brady left. But again, I try to see the silver lining, call it my hope, call it my faith. I'm always looking for, you know, the, the, the silver lining and everything. So in, in seeing how painful it was, some people brought to tears, some people saying, I'm not gonna be a Patriots fan anymore because he's gone. Some people saying, you know, I hope he gets injured. I'm like, why would you wish that on that man when he's done so much? For for the team, so much for the city, so much for this region. Like I don't I don't have any ill will towards Tom Brady. I want him to go crazy. I want him to throw five touchdowns. I want it to be a shootout, but I hands down want us to win the game. I hope we see him in LA at the end of the season. Like I hope it's Bucks, Pat's, and that we that we beat up on him a little bit. And now the guys on defense get to tee off on him too. Like he hasn't been hit hit in a little while. I'm hoping somebody you know, tags him a little bit, you know. I don't, I don't want to see him hurt. I love you, TB12, but, like, I hope somebody touches him up a little bit. What
0: do you think when you hear things like uh, some fans, obviously, are upset that he left? They wanted him to be a patriot for life, and it's hard for them to accept and to understand. What would you say to those
2: people? I would, I would understand where they're coming from, and i would ask them if they recognize that same level of change and or commitment in their own life we've we've gone generationally seeing things change people used to work the same job for 30 years and retire from one career then you saw people having 10-year stints with three different companies and now you see in this generation 10 different companies for three year stints. Things continue to change over time. So when you look at how athletes are leveraging their platforms for what they can get, whether it be one and two year contracts, like the power has shifted from the team and the franchise really to the players. And they're now empowered in a way with the CBA that they haven't been before and even leveraging uh, their talent. When you see a guy like Tom Brady get to a place after all these years of being in the same system and saying he wants out, saying he wants to go somewhere else, saying the game may not be as fun as it once was for me, you got to hear that and hear it clearly. And if this situation isn't working, then let me find someone who this situation will work for. So you bring in a Cam Newton who's excited and optimistic about what can happen, looking for uh, a uh, a revival in his career. You look at somebody like a Mac Jones, who came from the tutelage of Nick Saban, who understands the system. He didn't even want the game ball after he threw his first touchdown. He's already bought into the system, to the leadership of what it's gonna take to get us to that next level. I am very much so a Tom Brady fan, but I am more so a Patriots fan. So I am looking to the future of what his departure means for the next chapter of this team and of this franchise.
0: I want you to tell me what you will do on that Sunday. Church is over, Bucks Patriots Sunday night. What will your afternoon and evening be like? And will you be a
2: Pacer that day? That's a really, really good question. Um, What will I do after leaving church? I'll probably have dinner with my family. I'll probably try to spend some time With my with my children, try to spend some time with the family, Um, but then I will want some space. I'm one of those guys. I don't like watching the game with a whole lot of people, uh, especially some who may not have played or know that much about the game. I don't like watching the game with people who are just screaming at the TV and they don't know what they're talking about. I want I will pause it and I think I'm a coach. I'm an OC. I, I used to play some receiver. I don't look like it right now, but I used to play back in the day. So in my mind, I'm like going through I would have made that catch. I would have done this. I like watching the game with some space, uh, but I will be rooting for Tom Brady. I hope he individually has an amazing game. But at the end of the day, I am hoping and praying that after we do some sort of tribute and some great video goes off, he's got tears running down his face. He's super excited being embraced by the Foxborough crowd. I am praying that the Pats win the game and that this gives us the momentum that we need to have a championship year. What do you
0: believe the crowd should do that day at Gillette Stadium when Tom Brady
2: comes out? Standing ovation, give him his flowers, embrace him, sing, chant. Brady 12. Do it. He's gonna run out. Let's go. He's gonna do his thing. And as soon as the ball is kicked, knock him on his back, man. <laughs> Rip his jersey. Like he he's not a pat anymore. He's on the opposing side. So I mean, him, Gronk, Antonio Brown, the the Tampa Bay Patriots, knock, knock these jokers out, man. Let us let's let's go. Let's put put the chin strap on. Buckle the chin strap.
0: I'm also gonna let you hear from a student from Yale in New Haven, Connecticut, um, Louis Goldsmith, the founder of a Patriots fan club at Yale University. Actually, Louis just graduated uh, in the spring. As he said, yeah, I was in the COVID class. Uh, But he talked quite a bit about, he's got some conflicted feelings as does, I think, as do, I think, a lot of New Englanders. So, on the day that you found out he was leaving, what were your emotions?
3: That was the end of my childhood, in a a very, very serious way. He had been in my life since the very beginning, and now he would be down in Tampa Bay. It was sad. I, you know, obviously, I'm a Pats fan through and through. I was glad we still had Belichick but it's never quite gonna be the same. Did you cry? Yeah, absolutely. And I was not the only one, I'm sure.
0: What was the scene like? Where were you when you heard?
3: I believe I was at home. I think it was either in our winter break or right at the beginning of the pandemic. And it felt like the whole world was falling apart. And this was the one last thing that we really did not need to happen that cemented just how how rough things were gonna be going forward. You know, you, you really, you're
0: very enthusiastic about loving the Patriots, loving Brady. Yeah. Was there anything lost when he left? Or when you watch the games now, do you still
3: love them the same? I love them the same, but I love them differently. And just, just every bit as much, but it's a different team, it's a new group of guys. You kind of calibrate your fandom and your enjoyment to who's playing and how they play. and. Mac Jones seems like our future, but he does not play the same brand of football as Tom Brady. And so it's not like every throw could be the one that redefines the game of football the way it was when Brady was on the field, but it seems like we can still march down the field and hopefully score when we want to.
0: What will it be like for you to watch Tom Brady run out onto the field, not in a Patriots uniform?
3: I wish I could be Bill Belichick. I wish I could say he's just any other guy, but he's not. He's special to us, and he's not Tua or Zach Wilson or Jameis. He's he was ours, and to some extent, he still is. And so it's I'm gonna be rooting for him to go 16 and 1 this year, as long as that one one loss is against the Patriots.
0: What should the crowd at Gillette Stadium do that night when he comes on the field?
3: Give him a golf clap, and then we'll get really happy when he throws a pick six and we're st- we start scoring a golf clap for six for six Super Bowls. We only care about the next one. (laughs) You are from the Bill Belichick (laughs) school, aren't you? I I wish I could be a little bit more.
0: (laughs) You know, I want to give a special thanks as I close the podcast this week to uh, my NBC crew for uh, 50 hours in new England. And you know, it, I think most of them found out that I don't really let a lot of grass grow under my feet. I like to do things. I like to do a lot of things and I like to do them fairly quickly. So we made seven stops in 50 hours between 11:30 on Tuesday morning last week uh, in a little lobster village in northeastern Maine. And it ended on a goat farm in uh, Western Connecticut uh, 50 hours later. So uh, my thanks to my crew, uh, including producer Annie Koblitz, who did a fabulous job of keeping us on time and setting everything up uh, that we did. Uh, You'll probably see a little snippet on Football Night in America this week. And for a fuller version, you can go to my column this week, Football Morning in America at NBCSports.com. So thanks for listening to the podcast this week. We're going to have a fun one next week. We are going to have a little instant uh, podcast, instant analysis after the Sunday night game. I'll be at the game, uh, Tampa Bay at New England Sunday night in Foxborough. And we will produce this and have it up sometime on Monday for you. So the pod will come out a little bit early next week. And uh, hopefully we'll be able to bring you some insight to what Fred Godelli, the, uh, the guy who basically is the institution at NBC, um, running our football shop. Uh, Fred Godelli calls the, the most significant regular season game he's done in 25 years. So should be a lot of fun this weekend. Enjoy the games. And we'll see you with our Instant Pod next week.